Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for being an awesome God. I do pray, as we just sang, Father, we'd lay down our lives, that we'd open up our hearts, Father, that uh, you would uh, take our, our, our heart, Father, and, and form it, that you would take, Father, our, our, our will and, and conform it, that you would take, Father, all that we are and change us, Father. Clean us out, get rid of the garbage from the weak and the lies and the deception. Help us to seek you with a pure heart, Father, and to be changed. Uh, We give you this time as a living sacrifice. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you uh, uh, haven't uh, been with us uh, prior to the few weeks, we're in the midst of looking at this guy, King Ahab. And and, uh, several things have been happening with this guy. He's a bum of a king. He's uh, just uh, ruining everything and doing everything wrong. He's not a good guy. And um, uh, we've been watching several things start to happen in his life as uh, Elijah the prophet has been raised up and has been speaking against this Ahab guy. And, and several things have been brought out in the story. We've seen first off the, the wickedness of this gal Jezebel, which uh, enticed and, and had Ahab almost, as it says, sold his soul, if you would, uh, to do evil. And we said Jezebel was a wicked woman, the, the epitome of all that's evil. We saw a couple of her tactics, that she, she used the law of God when she could care less about God to murder God's people. Uh, that's sick, if you would. It, it's the old adage of everyone likes to quote to the Christian and say, don't judge lest you be judged. And they don't know anything about the Bible, but they love to throw that at you to say, shut up and don't tell me anything. You have no right to look at me. And really, God wants us to be bold. He wants us to be strong, and he wants us to have a message to a dead and dying world. And, and we're watching then where, where some of the tactics and, and some of the things that are happening, as we, we've, we've explained a, a few weeks ago, that, that Ahab, in all of his wickedness, I mean, he's just terrible of a guy. And yet we see that God continuously reaches out to him and is still trying to get a message across to him. And I find that to be totally amazing, that you and I, we're hopefully here on the the, the Christian side of life, and and we understand that God cares for us and loves us. And he's always wanting to talk to you and I. But the truth is, is he still wants to talk to the unsaved. He still wants to talk to the bum and say, come on, you can get up and you can make a change. We watched where Ahab went into battle. And God says, Ahab, I'm going to give you victory. And he gave him victory in battle. And the Syrians, the enemy of Israel on the other side of the Jordan over there, they turned around and they said, oh, we got our butt shellacked over here. But that's only because their God's the God of the mountains, if you would. And and if we attacked them into the, the lowlands and on the flat ground, we'd whoop on them because we can battle them on the flat ground, the lowlands. So they go out the next year, they battle them, and the Syrians get whooped again. And God's saying, I'm not having anybody say I'm just a god of the highlands. I'm the god of god of gods. <laughs> and we watch then where this scene comes up, where now Ahab is victorious now twice over the Syrian king. The Syrian king's hiding in a cave, 
And out he comes with a rope around his neck, bearing sackcloth, begging for mercy. The Syrian enemy of Israel. And we watched Ahab, duh, didn't kill him, didn't sit down and says, aha, victory. He turns around, brings him up in his chariot and says, come on, all of us kings are all buddies together. Let's make a peace treaty and we'll all be fine. Compromised. Sometimes when God is bringing someone to be delivered or put down or executed, and if we fail to step up to the plate and do as the Lord's, these problems come back and bite us. And, and we're going to watch now where the problem comes back and bites Ahab. And, and as much as I just said, God continuously reaches out, God, there's going to be a point where God says, nope, no, no more. And, and for some of us here that have been blowing off God, pushing off God, and playing with God, uh, the end message of the day is we don't have room for that. And we're going to take communion today at the end of the service. And, and we would hope and pray that that's where our heart is, is to be bonded together with the Lord. And, and, and uh, we've got to look at this as a, a powerful story. And I've got to say today, it has another weird twister in it. I'm telling you, some of these Old Testament stories are doozies. And uh, uh, we have to listen to what's being said here. But let's get back into the text of what's happening. Let's uh, read through this. And it says in chapter 22 of 1 Kings, verse 1, it says, Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Syria the enemy, Israel, right, uh, the northern. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, a new name for us, if you would, the king of Judah, down to the south, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So several things are happening here. Uh, uh, apologize, we, we skipped a few verses at the end of the last uh, uh, chapter, a little of the blah, blah, blahs of you know, things and new kings coming up. But we're now dealing with, if you would, King Jehoshaphat down to the south. And for those of you that might not know, we've been looking at the nation of Israel. We've seen that the nation of Israel is really split in half by civil war. We have Israel technically up to the north, the ten tribes. We have two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, to the south that create a land of Judah. We have two kings, if you would. And we're seeing that Jehoshaphat is the king to the south, still good, walking with the Lord, integrity. And for argumentative purposes, we'll call him the good guy today. And then we have Israel up to the north, right? And that's uh, uh, Ahab. And Ahab's up there. He's the bum, and he's got all these problems. As we said, Ahab could have had victory with the Syrians. And Syria turned around, and he says, well, I'll make peace with you. And he says, I'll give you back all your territory that we ever took from you. Okay, you let me live. Uh, I deserve to die. I'm going to give it back to you. That was in the scene of the big victory over the lowlands, the highlands, and all that stuff. But now three years have passed, and guess what? Guess what? Syria reneged on its deal and has not given back uh, 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 Gilead, if you would. Uh, Ramoth and Gilead, which is right across the border, which should now be Israel. And isn't it amazing that if we ever make a deal with the devil, they don't come through. How about that? If you ever make a deal with the world, I want to tell you something. They don't come through. I want to tell you something else. If you make a deal with God, God's promises are solid as a rock and he never lies. Never. 
He's never wrong and he never lies. You can bet the farm on it. And here it is, we're watching this, and three years later, all of a sudden, Ahab is sitting there in town. He's got Jehoshaphat coming up. And you go, Jehoshaphat, what are you doing with this dingbat up here? And, and all of a sudden, Ahab goes, you know, we haven't gotten this, you know, Ramoth back in, in, in Gilead. How about a little help? You want to help me? Oh. And so he said to Jehoshaphat, verse 4, he says, will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, wow, I am as you are, my, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Boy, that's a strong statement of commitment. We're all in this together. And you want to say, oh, Jehoshaphat, you're not in this together. You don't want to sit down and be brothers with this guy. This is where it's falling off the thing, and he's making a very strong commitment. My people, your people, my horses, your horses. We're gonna, we'll, we'll fight together. We're in this, buddy. And we watch then as Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, hey, uh, we do this thing down south. I don't know about you, but we like to inquire of God, you know, maybe prayer and get a little answer from the Lord before we go to battle. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire of the word of the Lord today. Capital L-O-R-D, meaning the God of Israel, the one true God. Can we hear from him? And the king of Israel, Ahab, gathered the prophets together Oh, about 400 men. And he said to them, Hey, shall I go up against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? And they all said, Oh, go on up, for the Lord will deliver into the hand of the king. You go on up. Go, go, go. You're not going to lose. Everything's great. Ha, ha, ha. And Jehoshaphat, right, the good king, he said, right, wait a second, wait, we got a whole bunch of weirdos dancing around here. Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Oh, we got, we got all the false prophets. Everyone's dancing around. Everyone's saying everything. And, and Jehoshaphat says, does anybody here know the Lord God of Israel? Uh, can we get a real prophet in here? And, 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 and uh, 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 verse 8 says, so the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, uh, oh, there's still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Every time I talk to the guy, he's got something bad to say. Oh, gee, you're in sin. Oh, gee, you're wicked. Oh, gee, you got all these problems. I'm tired of that guy. We lock him up and shut him up. I like all these other 400 guys. They're all giants and telling me how good I am. You don't want him. You don't want him. And Jehovah said, oh, don't talk like that. Let not the king say such things. And the king of Israel called an officer and said, ah, bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, here, quickly. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, they sat each on his throne in a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And now one of the big boys of the false prophets, if we want to call him that, this guy, Zedekiah, the son of Chenaniah. And he, he had a, a physical demonstration. He made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore these Syrians until they're destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied, saying, go on up, go on up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. 
So now all of a sudden the prophet comes up, one of the false prophets, he wants a demonstration. He's got these horns, he's running around pushing people and shoving them and trying to say, you're going to win, you're going to win, you're going to win. And what does he say? Uh, Sad but true word. You're going to prosper. Everything's good, everything's rosy. And I don't know about you, uh, it was a, a sick message at the time and it's still kind of a sick message today. Called this thing called the prosperity movement, and it seems to have swept through the churches, and it has seemed to have 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 promoted this whole thing of if you if you can blab it, you can grab it. It's yours for the taking. You know, if you speak it and say it and have this amount of faith, God's got to bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. And there's a lot of churches that want to push the blessings of God. If you give a hundred dollars today, you're going to get a thousand dollars tomorrow. Thank you, praise you. That's what we want. And, and it's a, a money-oriented religion. And it's crept into Christianity. It's polluted the church greatly, I think. And it's taken away some of the heart and soul of what the gospel's about. And you watch some of this prosperity where, boy, everybody's yelling and dancing and jumping up and down for the cash. And nobody's talking about getting saved. And, and, and it, it, it hurts. It hurts the church where a lot of people think, gee, it's just a matter of, of you know, you, you got to blab it and grab it and all these other little stupid things of what needs to happen up and down to, to, to become a, a Christian and it's all about the money. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting in the audience and I got a preacher up here and he's talking about, if you give me $100, you'll get $1,000 in return. You know what I think? I think if you really believe that, then why don't you give me $100, right? If, if I really believe that, right, that, that if, you know, then if I want to be prosperous, then I, I, Pastor Dave, should give every single buddy here $100. And you know how big of an offering we'll get next week? Oh, no, I wouldn't really do that. I don't have the faith of the faith movement, of the prosperity movement, to be able to have that. Because it's foolishness. And in all honesty, when, when you're hearing and what these false prophets are saying is a yes men mentality. And a lot of people want to go to a church that everything is yes, yes, yes. All everything's okay and everything's going to be happy and hunky-dory. What you're missing, what you're missing, what you're missing is this thing called Repentance. And repentance is a critical aspect of Christianity, to be able to be broken before the Lord, as we sang, and to be faithful and to be humble and to have our heart exposed and to say, Lord, I'm broken. I need help. Help me. And I'm not here to say that you have to go through pain and suffering to be a Christian, and it's only pain and suffering. God doesn't ever want to bless you. Yes, he does. He wants to take care of you, provide for you, and bless you. Please hear that in me. But you got to go through a process, this, ooh, this ugly thing of a cross, this thing that, that we die to ourselves and we're broken before the Lord. And, and there's a part of us when we're born into a sin nature that is wrong. And if you think that God's going to take you in your sin and bless you in your sin, you're greatly deceived. And, and there has to come a time of being broken and then the Lord wants to build and strengthen and edify us as a church. you got to hear that. But there's a lot of, lot of prosperity out there. A lot of people trying to entice you. And the end result is they're just trying to take your money. 
And, and it's sad. We would hope and pray there's faithful giving of money. We have an offering box in the back. We would like you to be able to support the church, pay the bills, pay the mortgage, and gee, even give the pastor a few bones every now and then. <laughs> but you know, it, 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 it's something that, that, that we, 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 we don't want to emphasize that it's all about the money and come and get the cash of God. Wow, that's so wrong. That, that we need to entice you or bribe you with materialism in order to get you to be a servant of God. Wow, when you feel what God offers you is forgiveness of sin, that that is more precious than gold, that when your sins are forgiven and you recognize that Christ paid for you and that he took the whipping in your place, and then all you have is appreciation, and then your response, your response is to say, Lord, what can I give you back? You want my money? You want my time? You want my life? It's yours. That's the proper way of giving is out of a response. You never, never, never want to give in order to get. And the response is, God, you owe me. God is a debtor to no man. And, and we have to get that in our heads that, you know, I don't give God a hundred bucks and say, now where's my thousand? Wow, God's like, how dare you? You, you I, I, I owe you something? God's great. God's wonderful. And, and we have to be very careful over this. And, and yet you're watching all these guys turn around and, and they're going to you know, preach, go up there and fight and prosper. They're all yes men. We don't want to say no to the king. Go up and fight. So the messenger, okay, back into the scene of things, verse 13. It gets even weirder as this goes on. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him. So he's dragging him out of you know, his village, his home, his jail, I don't know. And he says, hey, hey, Micaiah, now listen. The words of the prophets with one accord, we got 400 guys all saying the same thing, encourage the king, please, can you shut up? Please let your word be like the word of one of them and can you speak encouragement to the king for once? Okay, we got a good thing going here. And Micaiah said, uh, as the Lord lives, uh, 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 whatever the Lord says to me, that I'm going to speak. You can't tell me what to say. I'm not a prophet for a hire. I, I got to do what the Lord tells me to do. And he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? Point blank question, yes or no? And he answered him, oh, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Now, in case you didn't catch that, there is a bucket load, a ton of sarcasm in that statement. He's like, what, what, you want to hear it? Go, go, go ahead. So the king said to him, how many times am I going to tell you? Swear to me that you're going to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord. I can see the sarcasm a mile away. Tell me the truth. And he said, all right. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Ooh, if that's not a dagger to the king. Uh, I'm sorry, there's a whole bunch of people out there without a leader. Hey, what do you think of our church, Calvary Chapel? Well, it's a wonderful group of people. They just don't have a shepherd. <laughs> That's my job. Hey, wait a second. And, and you go, and the Lord said, these have no master. Let them each return to his house in peace. Wow. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, right? That's Ahab speaking to Joseph. Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? I'm telling you, the guy's against me. And then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. 
Now check out this scene. Micaiah says, this is what I've heard the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. The, the military army, the host of God is all in front of God. Big heavenly scene. And, and, and the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and the other spoke in that manner. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry. This does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. God's having the high holy council. He's got all the angels out in front of him. And his question is, is hmm, how can, we, how can we trip up Ahab to get him to fall in battle? No, 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 wait a second. Ahab's off track? You'd figure God would be saying, hey, Ahab's off track. What can we do to get him back on track? I think God's had that conversation. I think he's bent over backwards, and I think Ahab still turned a deaf ear, but God's not even asking the question anymore. He's saying, what can we do to screw him up? Can you imagine God up in heaven looking right down and says, what can we do to screw you up? What? That Dave Brown, he's a little bit off track. What can we do to get rid of him? (laughs) Wow. Very different turn of events for how we understand God. And God's sitting down there saying, enough's enough. Draw the line. You've crossed it too many times. Wow. Don't hear too many sermons on this chapter, do we? (laughs) One spoke this manner, the other spoke in that manner. And then, listen to this, verse 21. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord. And he said, I will persuade him. I got the idea. And God's like, you do? What was that? And the Lord said to him, in what way? How are you going to do this? So he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, oh, that would work. You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Wow. Would God send a lying spirit and a false prophet to come and speak to you, to trip you up, to get you to fall? That's what he's doing here. No, not my God. My God's a good God. Everything he wants to do is bless me. He wants to give me $1,000. That's all I know. (laughs) What do you mean he wants to trip me up? That ain't the God I serve. I want the one with $1,000. Therefore, look, verse 23, the Lord had put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. And you go, wow, you know, you got all these people, you got, you got, you know, the kings, and they're all listening to the message, and the message is, is you're being set up, don't you dare go out and fight, you're going to lose, it's the end. And now Zedekiah, the son of Chenaniah, the leader of the false prophets, he went there and he struck Micaiah on the cheek. He slapped him across the face. And he said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? I'm the chief head you know, prophet around here. I'm the one saying God wants us to prosper. What are you, a dirt ball in the dungeons? Yeah, shut up. And Micaiah said, oh, indeed you shall see on that day when you, Zedekiah, go into an inner chamber to hide. You're going to be crawling underneath the steps, crying for your daddy because you're going to get hit whacked so hard. The king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Amnon, the the governor of the city, and to Joash, the, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison 
and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction, punishments, until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, uh, the Lord's not spoken to me. I'm a false prophet. And he said, indeed, take heed, all you people. And so you go, boy, this, he goes, you can't say this. Wait a second, you're going to throw me in prison. And then I just said you're going to die in battle. And now I'm going to be in prison until what? Until you come back in peace, which I just said isn't going to happen. So that means I'm going to prison forever because I'm right, you're wrong. And now you've set up an impossible set of circumstances, right? It's the old uh, Puritan way. They look at the gal and say, she's a witch. She's a witch. And you know how you deal with a witch, right? You take the witch and you tie a huge stone around her. You throw her out in the pond. And then you say, right, if she floats to the top, then uh, she's a, a witch. And if she sinks to the bottom, well, she was just a nice girl and we were wrong. Um, so <laughs> you have to be able to float with a rock in order to be claimed a witch, at which point you're supposed to then be put to death if you did float. And if you sink with the rock, well, then you're vindicated and you are not a witch. We're wrong. I, I don't think there's too many people that floated to the top. I think it was a good way to thin the herd, if anything. And, and, and you go, it's the lunacy of the same thing. You go, you can't do this to me. This is, you're thinking crazy. You can't say, oh, I'm going to be here. And, and we've seen then that, that it's the bread of affliction and it's the water of affliction. And whether you know it or not, you hear about people that are put on bread and water. And I've said this several times, but to be put on bread and water is a form of torture. And the idea is, is, is that, you know, if you were on a ship, it's an old Navy torture. There's, there's only so many ways you can punish somebody on the ship. You can make them walk the plank and say, bye-bye, you're gone. You could sit down, they would keelhole somebody, which is they would take a rope, put it around you, throw you overboard, then they drag you underneath the hull of the ship and pull you back up the other side. Fun little ride you get every now and then. <laughs> and uh, better hope the guys pulling the rope can drag you back up. And, 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 but what they would do, though, is they would see somebody that was disobedient or rebellious, and they'd punish them. And, and what they would do is they'd say, take them and put them on bread and water. And it's what you would do. It, it, it's kind of a sick cycle. You would, they'd starve you for, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day or something like that. And then they'd put bread and water in front of you. And what do you do? You go, and what happens then is your stomach goes, it expands. And you find out you get hungry and your hunger pains come from your stomach contracting. And in bread and water, it expands quickly. It's all soggy and, and gushy and your stomach is exploded. And then it rapidly, it dissolves in, in, into your stomach and, 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 and is processed. And you're starving to death. And then you're like, man, if you really want to get hungry, suck down a whole bunch of bread, a whole bunch of water, expand your stomach, and then you're going to feel hunger like you've never felt it before. And now you got twice as much hunger, and then they do what? They put more bread and water in front of you. And you can't control yourself. And then the hunger hits you again. They put more food and bread in front of you, and you're torturing yourself. It's a joke. And, and, and you're going, that's what you're going to be living on, bread and water, and you're going to be in pain, starving to death all the time, and scarfing food in front of your face, and it's the, the bread of affliction and the water of affliction. And, 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 and it's a, a, a sick process 
uh, uh, but it's a, a simple process to turn around and, and to say, we're not letting you go. If I die, you die with me. So verse 29, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Now, isn't that stupid? How dumb is dumb, right? You just got the whole message. You just went through this whole thing. You got the word from the Lord. You got a whole bunch of false idiots prophesying, and you're going to ignore the word of the Lord and go up and fight. Wow. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, now listen to this if this doesn't clue you in. Here's Ahab, the king of Israel. He's going to speak to Jehoshaphat, the good king. And he says, he goes, I got a wonderful idea. He goes, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you, you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Here's my idea. What would you do if a king said that to you? I'm going to dress up as like, you know, an archer or or a soldier, a footman. I'm just going to look like one of the guys. But you, King Jehoshaphat, you put on your robes. We'll put some men in front of you and blow some trumpets. And everyone will know you're the king. Because they're going to want to kill the king. (laughs) Right? Jehoshaphat, stupid dummy that he is, good guy. He's got to go along with it. I would be a little concerned when somebody says, Dave, we're going to go into battle. I'm going to disguise myself and look like one of the average guys. You turn around and put on all the pomp in the air of the high priest, okay? Or whatever, you know? Really? Okay. Now the king of Syria had commanded, now this is the enemy, king of Syria, and, and, and he commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, you fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. That's the guy we want to look for. That's the guy I made a treaty with. That's the guy I lied to. We got to kill him. And so it was when the captains of the chariots, the enemy, saw Jehoshaphat, the good guy, that they said, surely it's the king of Israel. Look, that's the guy we want. And therefore they turned aside to fight against him. And then Jehoshaphat cried out, come on, let's fight. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. And poor Jehoshaphat sitting there going, man, we're gearing up for a fight. We're going to go in there. Let's get them. And here comes the enemy. They come up and they go, oh, you're not. You're not King Ahab. They turn around and walk away. And and, and Jehoshaphat's going, man, I wanted a fight. Come on, bring it on, baby. And, And you're watching a good king willing to engage in battle. And you watch a sissy king run like a chicken. And you think, well, he fooled them, didn't he? Not really. Because there's thir- verse 34. It says, now a, a certain man, just some average Joe, he, he, he drew a bow at random. And he struck the king of Israel, Ahab, between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I'm wounded. So average Joe in Syria happens to pull back an average arrow and just whips it up into the air. And he comes down and just happens to find the chink in the armor of the king of Ahab and he's going to kill him. The battle increased that day, verse 35. And the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound into the floor of the chariot. And then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. Go home, we lost. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria. 
And then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria. And guess what? The dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. God's word was never broken. If we can remember that uh, as, as Ahab uh, uh, tried to, to take Naboth's field, the vineyard next to him, it was Jezebel that came up with a plan to get him killed. And then Ahab came in to take possession of the property after murdering the guy whose property it was. And then Elijah the prophet came up and says, do you really think you're going to get away with this? That's what he said point blank. But he said, you know, you think you're going to murder and then take possession of the property? It ain't going to happen, buddy. And here's a little prophecy for you. He says, on this piece of property that you just think you stole, you're going to die. Your blood is going to be licked up by the dogs on this piece of property where the harlots bathe. And guess what? Sure enough, lo and behold, he's now dead. He's in his chariot. His chariot's being cleaned out there. And the dogs are licking up his blood. God's word never fails. Never. And when God says, this is how you're going to die, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going on, money in the bank. And, and, and you're watching this and you're going, it says, now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house which he had built and the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the king, kings of Israel? So Ahab, oh, he rested with his fathers. And then Ahazi, his son, reigned in his place. And, and you're watching that in this story, you, you have to be able to see that, that this is a, 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 a story of, of associations. And, and we understand as New Testament Christians, there are things we can and cannot associate with. And the truth of the matter is, is when we compromise our walk, when we associate with the wrong people, it destroys us. Uh, uh, in the New Testament, there is a, and I hate to do this, I'm, I'm not big on this, but I think I'm on pretty solid ground. There is a, a word that is called fellowship. And, and that word is translated from the Greek word that we call koinonia. And, and koinonia means to bond with and to be associated with. How's that? It means to, to actually to physically trade with. I have eggs, you have oranges, I'll give you six of my eggs, you give me six of your oranges. We've now strengthened a tie together. It's, it's things that bond us together. And, and the word, if you would, it, 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 it's strong and prolific throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, it starts off with chapter 1, verse 9, and it introduces us to this word. It says, for God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship, that's our word koinonia, of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And to be honest with you, that starts off the, the idea that you and I, first and foremost, need to have fellowship, a bonding with Jesus Christ. And, and if we're bonding ourselves to anything else other than that, it's going to bring us down. And in the story, we have the good king Jehoshaphat. And he's now starting to hang out with and be with Ahab the bum. And you want to be able to shake him and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? My king and my horses and my people are all your people. We're all the same. We're all bonded together. And you're going, wow, you're selling yourself out to a bum. And, and for you and I, the application is, is we, can't, we can't go up and just join ourselves to people that are, are despicable. 
And, and we are called to go into the world and to be ministering to the world and to love the world and to do a lot of things uh, in part with that. But, but we're, not, we're not here to be one with the world. And, and there has to be a difference in our life. And, and, and the calling is clear that, that here's an association, if you would, where, where Jesus is calling us to be with him and yet we're, we compromise. Notice, if you would, because of the compromise for, 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 for uh, Ahab, he thought he could hide himself. He thought he could disguise himself. He thought he could continue his little game a little bit further. But isn't it weird? Oh, just at random. Uh, some guy pulls back an arrow and shoots the guy. And, and he, he gets through the, 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 the armor and finds that weakness, and bam, he's now dead. Freaky of all things, isn't it? And, 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 you know, we're supposed to be the same thing. I, I think there's the armor of God, right? The armor of God tells us that we have a shield of faith to block the fiery hearts of, you know, our, our darts of the enemy, right? And we're to block them and, and say, I have faith, and my faith is what strengthens me. You can lie to me all you want, but my promise and my trust in God is what's going to block these things. And just in case something gets down and my shield of faith is gone, I have a breastplate of righteousness. I know I'm doing the right thing. And you want to come up and say, Dave, you're a scumbag, liar, weasel, and a piece of trash? Well, okay, I'm not going to argue with you, but... I also know that I'm in prayer and fellowship and Jesus Christ loves me and I've been doing some of the right things. And your little fiery dart and your lies, they don't bother me. I don't care. A, I can admit that I'm an idiot. B, I can, I can say that I'm doing the right thing and I have these things. But see, Ahab didn't have that. He didn't have his righteousness up. He's a bum. He, he, he didn't have any faith. And, and all of a sudden he thought he could lie, cheat, and weasel. And when you're around somebody like that, it comes back to bite you. And, and as we're going to close, uh, uh, we're going to take communion, communion, common union, communion, common union, right, with Jesus Christ. And, and, and the idea is, is I, I want you to, 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 to understand that that is our calling here today, that I would accept, walk with, and have the integrity uh, of keeping my union, right, with Christ strong and first and foremost. Um, uh, I'm going to do something a little weird. Uh, uh, as we have a, a couple of the pastors come forward and pass out the elements of communion, I want to read to you a communion story and uh, have that be a, 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 a time uh, that you would listen to uh, a, a strange illustration, if you would, called Communion on the Moon. How's that? On the Moon. The background uh, to the story is that uh, Aldrin, who was an elder at his Presbyterian church in Texas, during this period of his life, and knowing that he would soon be doing something unprecedented in human history, walking on the moon, right? And, uh, thank you, sir. He felt he should mark the occasion somehow, and he asked his minister to help him. And so the minister consecrated a communion wafer in a small vial of communion wine. And Buzz Aldrin took them with him out of the earth's orbit and onto the surface of the moon. He and Armstrong had only been on the lunar surface for a few minutes when Aldrin made the following public statement. This is the LM pilot lunar module. Right? I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in 
whoever and wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and give thanks in his or her own way. He then ended the radio communication, and there, on the silent surface of the moon, 250,000 miles from home, he read a verse from the Gospel of John, and he took communion. Here is his own account of what happened. In the radio blackout, I opened the little plastic packages which contained the bread and the wine. I poured the wine into the chalice, our church had given me, and in the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine slowly curled and gracefully came up the sides of the cup, and then I read the scripture. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit. And then he said, apart from me, you can do nothing find that a little interesting with our verses today about koinonia and fellowship. And that's a quote out of John 15 about Jesus being the vine, the branches, and the intimacy of a tree that bears forth fruit. He said, I intended to read my communion passage back to earth. But at the last minute, they had requested that I do not do this. NASA was already embroiled in a legal battle and with Jezebel, oh, I'm sorry, Madeline Murray O'Hare, and the celebrated opponent uh, of religion over the Apollo 8 crew reading from Genesis while orbiting the moon at Christmas, uh, I agreed reluctantly. I ate the tiny host and swallowed the wine. I gave thanks for the intelligence and spirit that had brought two young pilots to the sea of tranquility. It was interesting for me to think the very first liquid ever poured on the moon And the very first food eaten there were the communion elements. And of course, it's interesting to think that some of the first words spoken on the moon were the words of Jesus Christ, who made the earth and the moon, and who, in the immortal words of Dante, not sure if that's good or bad, is himself, quote, the love that moves the sun and other stars. And, and, you know, if, if, if uh, Neil Armstrong and, and, and uh, 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 who's he, what's he, uh, can sit down there and, 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 and partake in, and say this is a historic moment and I want to remember that Christ is the, 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 the source of my life, then you and I need to keep that as a priority in our life. That, that, that Christ is the, the first, is, is the best, and is divine, and we as branches are attached to him. And, and as a source of koinonia, uh, I would pray that we would be smarter than Jehoshaphat and stop messing around with some foolish people and start attaching ourselves and bonding ourselves to Christ. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.